I feel like we're going we're about to venture into yeah. something that we are not qualified to venture into. Are you recording yet? Feel, are you <laughs> Yeah. I'm recording. Great. Okay, sorry. Um uh, but we both feel uh stupidly res- responsible for or obligated to 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 do. Like we couldn't not like if given the structure of the show that it's 30 years later and we're talking every week about the movie that came out 30 years ago this week that is an important or weird or crazy notable movie for some reason we yes. couldn't not do this movie right especially because we talked about this movie in one of our previous episodes just a few months ago yes and great episode if you want to look it up king of new york fantastic guest <laughs> who unfortunately was unavailable for for this episode uh and we also reached out to uh a number of other people uh particularly uh people of color right um yes. to talk about this movie and um it turns out i don't um personally know that many and um the ones that i do vaguely know said no <laughs> and i didn't even attempt to ask anyone so like that was you know In, it, you know, it, it it might have been that um, maybe the messages that I sent them were not appropriate. <laughs> I, I will just say this. We are venturing into uncharted territory yes. in the sense that we don't have a life raft here yes. in regards to talking about something that um, while we may have opinions about, we have... N- very little cultural uh, bias. Yeah, and so I can appreciate a lot of the things that are uh, related to the the culture that's grown up around this movie, and I have definitely done some research, and I and I think it's a very interesting movie to talk about. But all I can do is talk about it from my own perspective, and not maybe the perspective of the millions and millions of people that it has had a much bigger impact for. You know. On that note, this is thirty years later, New Jack City. <laughs> Living, 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 just enough. Wesley Snipes. We will own the city. Ice Team. Alan Payne. Chris Rock. Mario Van Peebles. Christopher Williams. Vanessa Williams. Tracy Camilla Johns, and Judd Nelson. This is Detective Nick Peretti, big crazy jarhead, motorcycle freak, reject cop, just like you, Scotty. On the streets, there's a fine line between wrong and right, good and bad, between those who enforce the law. It is a war out there. And those who break it. Gone are the days of selling on the street corners, dark alleyways in the back rooms of some bummy-ass bar. We ain't with that no more. In a city where survival depends on friends. It's always business. Never personal. On family. We gotta look out for one another. On trust. On loyalty. On power. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, a family out to run a city are up against cops who know its streets. This ain't business. This is personal. This is big business. 
This is the American way. Hey. <laughs> That's just the totally the normal way you pronounce city in your everyday life, right, Ricky? Trying to, trying to, trying to polish stuff up, trying to while polishing yeah. ads. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here, let me, let me. Here, let me rip a couple. Yeah, uh, let me rip a couple. It. All right. Uh, on that note, you're listening to Thirty Years Later. It's New Jack City. I mean, are you trying to uh, be inconspicuous? Are you trying to not be noticed? This is 30 years later. It's New Jack City. Why it? It's because I have to say it's this is 30 years later. New Jack City doesn't make any sense. You got to put. You know why? This is 30 years later. New Jack City. This is 30 years later. New Jack City. (laughs) New Jack City. 30 years later. You and BC. You know. You know what I just realized? Why we don't do this? Because it's because fucking awful. It, <laughs> it's awful, and it reminds me of that kid movie reviewer. Or he's not a kid anymore. He's an adult. Um, oh, yeah. Action Jackson, right? Or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Who who does that thing where he's he's like, he goes, um, she's a woman stuck inside, and Julianne Moore lives across the street. This <laughs> is Woman in the Window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was very dynamic though, Ricky. I felt really compelled. Can you do can you do an action Jackson for New Jack City? Uh do I have to wait, so I have to describe the plot a little bit? Yeah, you have to do like a two-line intro and then like this is the title of the movie. Okay, all right. Get back when crack attacks. It's New Jack City <laughs> this week on 30 Years Later. <laughs> No crack in my neighborhood, Jack, says Ice-T, but Wesley Snipes disagrees. This is New Jack City. Wesley Snipes wants you to smoke up, but Ice-T wants him to shut up. It's New Jack City, 30 years later. (laughs) We should be, we had a full conversation about doing a better, like earlier today about like, how we host and doing a better yeah, job and polishing job. it. Yeah. And honestly, this is so much more fun and is going to be the episode. <laughs> um, I think, um, but I think this is all part of the process, Ricky, of us polishing the show up. Judd who? That's right. Judd Nelson. This is New Jack City. This um, is a film that we should say in September when we did King of New York, New Jack City came up because it's a very similar uh, storyline ripped kind of from drug kingpin trying to take over the city, fighting with the police, you know, mutually yes. destructive and uh, kind of like a, but like a new style of gangster. So very, yeah, very similar movies, right? Very similar and very different in a lot of ways as, as well. Um, and I think, um, we kind of were comparing and or at least talking about them. And you and I, I think, because I don't think we had seen New Jack City at the time. Mm-hmm. We went off and kind of watched it just to be able to talk about it. And we were texting. Both of us didn't like it at that time. I think it was because we were coming off of King of New York. And King of New York is, it's just, 
inarguably a better a, a better movie and much more timeless than than this film is. Um, but and I think upon- that's one of the challenges of the movie because I think it is. You know, you were saying this to me, right? Like, because it has its problems or whatever, and it's it's like it doesn't hang together super well in certain places, but I think you have to put it in context of the time it came out. I think it's a very important movie from like, from that point of view. Yes. As a, as a piece of cultural artifact, it's incredibly important. Um, I highly recommend watching it as a well-made movie or good movie. You know, it's not that great. This the script falls apart halfway through, and they just keep throwing things on top of each other to keep the movie to get a running time in the movie. And then there's also moments that just visually don't make sense. Mar- Mar- Mario Van Peebles is well. There is an argument to made that he was born out of uh, black exploitation cinema. His father did Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. That he's sort of continuing that tradition with a higher budget, but that tradition doesn't look good uh, with a better budget. You have to kind of match aesthetic with budget at times. And I think he loses, um, loses control there. Uh, But then there's also the fact that there are just moments in the movie that on a script from a narrative standpoint, make, make, make very little sense. (laughs) You have no idea why they're happening. They don't seem to support the character as they establish them, like even in the previous scene and you like, don't know where you are or like why anything is happening. And I mean, to me, and from a completely zoomed out sense, I think it is at least two different movies that are put together. Cause there's the whole thing where, so it's about Wesley Snipes is this drug dealer, Nino. The first time we're introduced to him, it's, you know, one of these classic helicopter shots over New York City, going, going, going. You're just seeing the city for a long time. But then we zoom into them, Wesley Snipes and his henchmen, and they're hanging somebody upside down off a bridge. And broad then daylight. Broad, broad daylight. daylight. Right. There's cars going by behind them, everything, you know, and they're saying, you know, whatever. You didn't have my money, you, you know, but then they drop him and let him die. And this is like the introduction of his character. And I think for the whole first half of the movie, he's like taking over this city. He takes over uh, a whole apartment building as a drug lab. He's killing people. And then it's like this, that whole plot just kind of ends. And then there's a whole second thing with ice T going undercover and the two of them become friends and it humanizes him. And like, I mean, the movie kind of becomes copaganda, which we should get into in a minute. And maybe that's, wrong of me to say about this movie in particular but <laughs> the cops are the good guys and even cops though wesley Snipes has some, like sympathize sim- politically sympathetic monologues or monologues that are politically sympathetic to his plight he is a, he is depicted as a as a raging sociopath like a cartoonish for- murdering like bad guy like he's the yes. very much the bad guy and until the until the movie decides at a certain point, like, oh no, he's good, <laughs> you know, just like, and I I didn't really know why that happened. I mean, isn't that just in one monologue? Well, no, there's the whole. I would say for the whole second half of the movie, where he's becoming friends with Ice T, and you're like learning, you're he's being more humanized, and to where the point where you're almost glad when he gets off in the very end, not spoiler alert, like when he gets off at the trial, like I personally, I was kind of like, well, you know, good, you know? And the guy that he kills in the opening of the movie has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. No, it's right? just, it's just to like establish this, that he's a total badass. Yeah. Broad daylight, which is then brought up later when they shoot somebody 
in front of the housing project that they're going to take over, one of the guys goes, that's how you do it. You kill them in broad daylight. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, they found a, a reason to like justify why they keep killing people in broad daylight. But the movie um, is like operating on this level, right? Where like, so yeah, they're supposed to, where there's like crackhead zombies and everybody has a machine gun and like, yeah, people are yelling about the best way to murder people all the time. There's explosions. There's literally a scene where they're like, which wire is it on the bomb? <laughs> like the... We, should, we should really get into that later because I have a, a lot of feelings about the which wire is it scene. <laughs> I was going to say there's a couple interesting things around this movie. And one of them you have to talk about is the music. It has this amazing soundtrack that's full of this genre of music called New Jack Swing, which is like Boys to Men is like the most famous band, but there's like a million, a million other artists. Uh, and I should have the track listing Keith pulled Sweat. up. Keith Sweat. Yeah. Yeah. The script um, was Elbit kind of... DeVoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Black, Black Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who do we got? Yeah, Keith Sweat. I mean, a lot of people I don't remember it. I'm, I'm being totally honest. Ice-T does have the lead-off track on the soundtrack, which I was like, good for you. That was definitely in his contract. Color Me Bad. I mean, actually, <clears throat> the song I Want to Sex You Up is originally from the soundtrack to this movie. That was like a song I really liked when I was a little kid, actually. I know that's like the one white New Jack Swing band. So like, yeah, I may a culpa for nine year old Chris Chafin, but like that is such a strange song to have in this movie. It doesn't fit at all. Right. But you got to remember, too, this is from an era when like the movie soundtrack was its whole other thing. You know, it was its whole own artistic document where it was like the themes of the movie through an album that was also supposed to make a huge amount of money and be really popular. So there's a couple of like competing stories about the origins of this movie. And speaking of the album, which is New Jack Swing, um, one of the screen credited screenwriters is this guy, Barry Michael Cooper, who is a village voice writer. And he wrote about music. He is credited with coming up with the term New Jack Swing. And then he wrote an article in 1987 that was called Kids Killing Kids, New Jack City Eats Its Young. And it was like a really popular and supposedly Quincy Jones saw this article and then asked him to rework the script that he had come up with for a, a 1970s movie about a, a real life Harlem heroin dealer, Nikki Barnes. Yeah, right. And yeah. so that reworks Nikki Barnes becomes Nino. Nino Brown. Is it Nino Brown? Nino Brown. <laughs> but then there's another guy who takes credit for the movie. And I think the credits actually say like, from an original story by, and it's in the Wikipedia, it's really funny, in the Wikipedia, it says, this movie is from an original story by Thomas Lee Wright, citation needed. And <laughs> it's like, this guy's basically just like an executive type guy, but who had like ambitions to be a writer. And so he has like gotten himself credited as coming up with the idea for the movie, even though it sounds like he wasn't really involved at all, you know, but like in a technical executive way, he was involved in some way, you know, he helped develop 48 hours trading places and flash dance. His first screenwriting assignment was a draft of the Godfather part three. Like, oh, right, I saw that. Yeah. Like I very much am getting a picture of who that guy is. And like, if I'm being totally honest, like that is me probably like that is me and i i really want to say that it's not but it it is you know so i i get it <laughs> there's also the story of how mario van peebles was able to direct this like he had directed some episodes of 21 jump street and like another show but he also was in uh, heartbreak ridge which clint eastwood directed and he became good friends with eastwood on the on that movie and um, when he was trying to get Warner Brothers to back the movie, they weren't sure about letting him do it because it was his first time directing. And Clint Eastwood actually stepped in and said, give the give the kid a chance. Like, he's a good kid. 
That's amazing. Yes. Clint That's amazing. Fucking rules. <laughs> what an amazing thing for such a crazy old racist to do. <laughs> amazing. Clint Eastwood's not a racist. Okay, sure. Okay. I saw Gran Torino, Ricky. I get it. I know where he's coming from. Depiction does not equal endorsement. <laughs> so you can't, you also can't talk about New Jack City without talking about like the huge, huge influence it had on 1990s culture, you know, hip hop culture, music culture, movie culture. Like it's it absolutely like seismic. Like, uh, yeah, every, every R and B video looked like Wesley Snipes, character's bedroom in this movie for like the next 10 years. Yeah. Well, cash money records is named after the gang in the, in the movie cash money boys, which we see them getting car, like, um, shaved into the back of their heads and it looks so dope cash money boys. So that's named after them. Um, Lil Wayne's albums. He has the Carter He's like a couple of the Carters that's named after the Carter apartments. Um, you know, I don't, I was a big fan in high school of belly, this hype Williams movie. Like that's just like a complete rip off of this movie, but like made in a very hype Williams way, you know? And those are just like some very big, but also like a small sampling of the many, many things that are influenced by this, this movie. I mean, I, as far as I'm aware, this movie made up the trope of like, naked people in the cocaine lab. I mean, unless that's like a thing from the seventies, I don't know if it is, but like, to me, I think like, this is what I'm thinking of in belly. Like, it seems like a very direct reference to this movie. And there's lots of other things that have that idea of like, you know, hot ladies naked in the cocaine lab. That's, you know, that's new Jack city, dude. Like it was a huge, huge, huge part of culture. I think we're also neglecting a humongous influence this movie had which is ice t playing a cop yes dude watching ice t play a cop and catch the bad guy and he even goes to court in the movie you know like this is the first time he plays a cop he apparently was unsure if he should do it and he kept bringing it up to his his you know he i think according to him his street friends and they and he would be like they want me to play a cop and they, they all of, all his friends would say to him was like, "Do you think you could get me a part in the movie?" And he was like, okay, <laughs> "Doesn't matter. No one cares. I'm just going to be in a movie." But there's this great story that Ice T tells about how he got the part, which was that he was at some club that Mario Van Peebles was at as well, and Mario Van Peebles overheard Ice T in the bathroom talking shit, and Ice T says, "I don't remember this exactly, but apparently I was telling someone, quote, the problem is." If they could put me under a microscope and find one molecule of me that gave a fuck, they'd have a chance. <laughs> um, but the movie opens in like 1986. You're in Harlem. Uh, Wesley Snipes' character, um, Nino Brown, is already a drug dealer. He's selling mm-hmm. coke and he's presented with crack. And um, But he's like a low-level on- guy hanging out with his buds, driving their Jeep around, you know. Yeah, and when he's presented with crack... He has this whole monologue about Reaganomics and says, we're living in Reagan's America. We've never been poorer than we are now. I mean, to be fair, I do think the best parts of the movie are Wesley Snipes' heavy-handed monologues. He has three of them, and they're all kind of the best part and the reason to watch this movie. But he has this monologue about how poor Black America is and how... um, He's never seen them any poor, so it's time to make it's time to get theirs and make his, and you know that's why he's going to start selling crack. Mm-hmm. And it even the the sequence even ends with like a the camera pushing in on him and him holding up a vial of crack and being like, "It's crack, baby." <laughs> <laughs> like I am not that's not an exaggeration of the moment in the movie. Yeah, that's what happens. And then is it then are, are we then introduced to um, 
Rock and and Ice T, or was it before that scene? No, I think it's after this scene. Yeah, right. it's after so the scene when we're introduced. To 1990, right or present day? Yeah. Well, is it supposed to be? I think Ice T and Chris Rock are in still in the past because the whole thing of Chris Rock is then his whole life has fallen apart and he's become a crackhead. Oh, and then, right. Okay. Yeah. Although maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, it's like Ice T is. It's a it's a drug deal between Ice T and Chris Rock, and they're haggling over the price. They're in you know whatever a, a parking lot somewhere, and uh, eventually uh, Chris Rock grabs the bag of money and just runs away. And Ice T starts chasing him, and it's like a it's kind of a good chasing because Chris Rock is on a bike and Ice T is running, and they're going down all these steps and like it looks like you know upper 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 Manhattan Harlem, um, and eventually Ice T says something like I'm a cop, you know. And then that's then it takes on a whole new, you know, kind of thing because it's like cops and robbers. I did find myself thinking like Chris Rock can't outrun <laughs> Ice-T on a bike. Like it, I found that like that well, was... well, also seemingly being very good at bicycling. Yeah, because he's going like, down like 20 flights of stairs and he doesn't even come. Cl- I mean, he does fall over at the end, but it's like a cliff. There's no other option but to fall over. And when he's jumping over the stairs, he's not just like jumping over them in this. I mean, this is like one of the problems with the movie right away is that like, instead of shooting a scene in like a gritty way where you would believe that this character is maybe jumping over stairs, it shoots it like you're watching all of a sudden a BMX movie. Or it's like, yeah, like like an episode of TV from 1990 or something, you know? Right. It's like these low angle Dutch shots of like (laughs) the the bike slow motion jumping in air and a guitar and a guitar lick being like, wow. And, and it's like, like very, like, there is no way in hell Chris Rock is doing any of these bike tricks, you know? It's yeah, like, not obviously. even because we know who Chris Rock is and there's no way he's doing these bike tricks. It's just because this this character is not <laughs> is not doing these this tricks. Like drug dealer, like hood. There's no way he knows how to ride a bike like this, right? But yeah. so then the end of it is Ice-T shoots Chris Rock in the leg in like, one of the more gory like things in the whole movie, I think. In a children's park. Yeah. And then and it's like his like foot it like explodes off of him, basically. You know, his whole ankle disappears. And he's like, Ugh. And then the cops come and of course, which is in a, a touch I thought was cool, they like arrest Ice T, right? And he's yelling, like, I'm a cop, I'm a cop, but they're like wrestling him to the ground or whatever. Uh, and then we cut to yeah. later, and business is going well. Or maybe they take over the prod. Yeah, then we cut to later because now all of a sudden Ice-T is like located in this like weird German expressionist office, right? He looks like he's in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, is in his new boardroom. And uh, his boardroom is like all these angular sort of uh, steel doorways around him and this massive fireplace. And it looks like something out of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like- uh, maybe it should be Nosferatu, but I don't think Nosferatu looked that way, even though it was technically, I think, German Expressionism at the time. It looks more of like a, a, a Lang metropolis. Well, Nosferatu Caligari is thing. a little more gothic, I guess. But yeah, the cabinet of Dr. Gilgari is that kind of insane geometric stuff. Isn't there a yeah. thing later, too, where they go into his house to try to, they're breaking into his house and his safe is behind like a triangular piece of frosted glass in like. Why? Yes, but also, and we get to this when we get to that chronologically, why they're breaking into his house or how they even end up breaking into the house was something that was to- I was flummoxed by. 
I mean, there's going to, if we're going to go through it beat by beat, there's going to be a lot of places where I'm like, I don't know why this was happening. And I wasn't really sure what even was going on, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, well, at times it felt like insert action movie cliche here without even like a story beat to justify it. Yeah. 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 It was like just a bunch of fun scenes. I mean, that's what we're talking. I mean, that's what I was kind of getting at when I was saying like, there's even the like, which wire to cut scene. There's the like, he, this guy is wearing his wire and he gets found out scene. And like every kind of action movie cliche you can think of, especially cop movie cliches, they're all just stapled together in this movie. And, you know, the wire cutting scene, because we've said it twice now, like is for no reason whatsoever. Basically their informant played by Chris Rock, whose character we'll go into in a minute because like he has like probably the most fun arc in the movie and the most For sure, sort of like yeah, hilarious arc yeah. in the movie and best performance out no ice tea <laughs> has the best performance but probably rock is rock is the more iconic performance i but, mean oh my god yes i have so much to, <laughs> but just, yeah. so rock is discovered as an informant uh with a wire in the crack house and so as the cops are busting in uh cops being ice tea and judd nelson um judd nelson in one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a movie uh, bust in, bust into this place. And uh, all of the people who work for Nino Brown have set fire to the place. They're burning the computers because apparently they kept all their information on floppy disks. We're never really quite sure what exactly that information. They just keep going the floppy disks, you know, like I guess it's, they keep good records, but like, I don't understand why they're keeping records on floppy disks. Maybe that's a reference to the the, fan, the Detroit crack family that like the, a lot of this story is based off of. They, maybe they did that, but I read a book about them and I don't remember that about them. Um, it's just a good visual thing because you can show first Nino's gang taking all the floppy disks out and then the cops run in the room later and they check all the disk drives and they go, oh, the floppy disks. I have, I have other thoughts about that scene as well, which is like, well, I'll get to this in a second. But anyway, the cops bust in. Everyone's gone, but they find Chris Rock's character who's become very close to Ice-T's character at this point and is Ice-T's informant. And Chris Rock is dead. He's clearly dead, but he has a bomb strapped to his chest. And instead of leaving the building and letting the bomb explode, they stop to dismantle the bomb as if it's going to save Chris Rock, but we've seen that Chris Rock is dead. So it's not clear why they're trying to dismantle the bomb. No one ever says we need to dismantle the bomb because there's people in the building. And and still. in fact, in, in the scenes up, leading up to this, they have showed you everyone evacuating the building. Yes. All of the, all of the children and old people and crackheads and bad guys have all left and we got to watch it all. Yet for some reason, these guys are like, we got to defuse the bomb on this body. I did just keep thinking like, no, run away. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, what are you, why are you defusing the, you don't need to do this. Just run away. It's not even that they know how to defuse the, they don't even, they're putting themselves in harm's way because they don't know how to defuse the bomb and they keep pulling the wrong wires and the ticker's going down and you're, you don't have any suspense over it because you're like, why are you doing this? Get out of there, guy. <laughs> I mean, it's suspenseful because they could explode and die, I guess. But it's like, I was like, why are you doing it? You know? And I will say, as we progress through this, and I'm sure I will say this a number of times, one of the, like, we are already focusing on things in this movie 
that are not why it is culturally significant right, exactly, or yes. important. <clears throat> and I think that is just like a huge, this is so corny to say. It's like a huge blind spot for oh us. Oh my God, Ricky. Know? I feel like that's a huge blind spot for me. I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> I just can't know these things. Do you know what I mean? I'm just, like I said at the top, like, I'm just like, reacting to it, how I reacted to it from seeing it. I mean, I did do Chris, a bunch of research about the movie. Chris, it's like I could have an, it's like I could have a historical interpretation, mm-hmm. but I can't have a personal interpretation. So I am not entirely comfortable speaking personally well, exactly. About this movie or this period in time i do feel like there are more appropriate voices that we should have lent this space to and god i mean ricky we tried we did try you know but unfortunately those voices do not trust me (laughs) and based off of the joke that i'm doing right now they are right they're right yeah they're very right about it yeah God, where even were we? So we're in the present and Nico's becoming a big drug dealer. Nico's, is it Nino or Nico? Nino, it's Nino Brown. Nino Brown, Nino Brown. And he's deciding to take over this, like we see, what we just talked about was the project blowing up, but we see early on him deciding to take over this project, which requires him killing a few leaders of other drug gangs and kind of kicking a lot of families out of this project. Yeah, so so the way that- They can turn it into their drug- um, building of some, you know. They have this big meeting where they have like the blueprints for the project and they're saying like the Carter, we're going to take it over. We're going to turn it. In. It's going to be our warehouse, our fortress. And they, they were like, okay, great. And then like literally the next scene is them like kicking down the door of like a sweet family and like shooting the father in the chest while everyone, like the mom and the baby are screaming and they show yeah. scenes like that, like three or four times. Like this is, I don't know, you know, call me naive, Ricky. When they said they were going to take over the building, I didn't think they were going to have to murder everyone who lived there, you know, like currently. Yeah. There's a part of you that's like, you start wondering who they're killing. Just right? anybody. It just seemed like regular people. Yeah, exactly. So it's like if they're killing regular people, okay, these guys are really fucking evil. And this is like a huge difference between King of New York and this movie, which is in King of New York, Walken is played, I mean, the movie's mostly on the side of Christopher Walken's character. Right. And And you don't see him do things there. He only occasionally does something that is really bad and evil, and it plays it so well because he doesn't do it very often. You know, so it's very effective when it happens. Whereas in this movie, like we're saying, from the first second of the movie, Wesley Snipes is this cartoonish bad guy. And yeah, they're murdering all these innocent people in their homes. And they turn this building, the Carter, into like a, you know, this crazy crack, a factory fort with all this crazy security. And like I said before, these people, they, they do call them zombies in the movie, but they seem to have told the extras literally to act like zombies because... There's all these people in the foyer, the courtyard, who are supposed to be on crack. And they're just like swinging their arms Uh, and like they're painted uh, all gray. uh, (laughs) And there's like fog everywhere, you know, and they're like, whoa. I want to go back briefly to King of New York, which is that I think that one of the reasons that King of New York is, stands the test of time and this movie doesn't, for a number of reasons, you know, Chops as a director, style and all those things but really what it is is that king of new york recognizes the capitalistic the capitalist system itself as wholly being nihilistic and there not being any really good or bad guys in it you're just turned against each other whereas i think that 
what's really dated about New Jack City is that it, while it's trying to give reasons for why a person like Nino Brown would exist and sort of try to, and this would maybe be his only way to to make a living, it's also kind of saying that like the system itself isn't necessarily bad. It's this part of the system. And so therefore like he is inherently like it, it creates bad people rather than it being entirely bad itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Like you're saying, I mean, and this is one, I think one of the like metatextual things about this movie. That's so interesting is like, like you're saying, essentially it's a movie about the cop cops and robbers and the cops catch the bad guy and the bad guy gets what's coming to him. Right. And the movie, the the cops end up being the good guys at the end of the movie. Whereas in King of New York, the cops are, are 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 basically worse than the criminals because they don't understand the system. White society was very offended by this movie, and there were all these stories about like like uh, like attacks at screenings of this movie on the first weekend. There was all kinds of things about this. This was like a whole big meme right. story. I'm trying to look it up. There was this um so the, and so there's this AP article about incidents that happened around the uh, premiere of New Jack City. 18 people arrested at a Las Vegas theater when where two gang brawls erupted Friday night. A passerby was shot in the leg when rival gangs exchanged 15 to 20 gunshots in Chicago. An estimated 1,500 people rioted in Los Angeles. Three police officers and a civilian hurt when a fight between two people in the lobby in New Jersey somewhere. So here's a quote from uh, this Las Vegas police sergeant. It's the type of movie that will draw the gangs to it. (laughs) And like, so this was this huge thing about this film. And in fact, there was this gigantic riot in Los Angeles, apparently on the weekend. And I couldn't find a lot of coverage from currently looking back at it. But the story is, is the like story, the story in Chicago where they threw like trash cans through the windows or something like that because they couldn't get into the movie in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was oh, like yeah. supposed to be like 800 or 1700 or 1200 people who couldn't get into the but it, movie. But it also came out five days after the Rodney King video. Well, was exactly, exactly. And this is there's a great story from the Los Angeles Times that's trying to spin it as being like violence related to New Jack City. And then it's also like. People were heard discussing the recent beating of a motorist by Los Angeles Police Department. And you're like, yeah, no shit. Like the riot wasn't really about New Jack City. It was about Rodney King, which had like just I mean, happened. And was it even that much of a riot? Like, I don't know. I didn't see any photos. I, I And I, I have no idea. Whether there was a riot or not, whenever there is like a fear of a piece of art causing some kind of social uproar, and you're not addressing, and like you're only basing that social uproar on a piece of art, you're a fucking idiot and you're being willfully blind to whatever the thing is that is actually causing some kind of social uproar. Right. You're like, boy, you know? if it wasn't for this movie, everything would be fine in society. <laughs> yeah. Like-, like, oh my God. Like if we release Joker, like incels are going to go in and shoot everybody. Okay. That's not Joker's fault. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's exactly I'm like that. To, like I'm not defending Joker cause I like Joker. I think it's fine. But like, to, to the, the the uproar that came with that movie and the fear that it was going to start incel riots was so insane and so devoid of any attempt to address why some sort of white male riot might take place culturally. Like what right. like what is happening in American well, society? Well, no, they exam they completely genu- examined. That- Ricky, the reason it's happening is the movie Joker. They, that's you don't need to think about it right. anymore. They they did examine the causes. Oh right, like the reason the January sixth fucking riots at the Capitol happened is because Donald Trump said something. 
Like yeah. that's exactly why. Like it's yes. it's only because of this singular moment that we can point to like that that these things happen. There is absolutely no connection or patterns whatsoever to human behavior in the society right. that they live in and the government that they're controlled by. Not at all. But I think it's very ironic, given all the stuff we're saying about the movie, like watching it in 2020, 2021, it's like, we're saying like, yeah, it's this kind of movie where like the cops and robbers, cops win, cops are the good guys, the bad guy is like a cartoon and he gets punished. To think that the way that that was actually being like assimilated in society at the time was like this dangerous, radical movie that was going to like cause riots and everyone was going to shoot each other. Um, It's pretty interesting. interesting And I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's easy to remember why right it's because it's about black people you know that's it it's just because it's a movie about black people right i mean yes yes and because it's a movie that it's one of the few movies since yes and because mario van peebles based his depiction off of wesley snipes character off of howard howard hawks's character uh, depiction in scarface where it's like you're actually watching the gangsters and you're you're not just on the side of the cops right like ferrara did that in king of new york but with king of new york no one fucking saw it and it was like a, <laughs> it was like a white kingpin so like you said there wasn't that like racial component to it although it was very poorly reviewed and considered nihilistic by a lot of critics um this movie was huge it this... was the biggest the highest grossing independent movie of the year it was made yes. it, the budget was eight million dollars it made 47 million dollars which is yeah. amazing but i think that just just putting the audience in the same room as a black drug dealer and 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 like putting you vaguely on his side the movie right. is not on his side at all but but like the tiniest mean? bit they're like oh maybe he's not all bad in like one or two scenes you know right the tiniest justification for why someone might take up that life right is it was like was too much for 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 the david brooks's of the world at that time to handle yeah, well, it was this awful rap culture and all this, you know, glorification of violence and it's about yeah. crack, you know. It was, you know, it, it was very interesting to Google it because there were so many articles about it. Everyone was writing about it that that weekend, especially the opening weekend. There was like dozens of articles all about all these different incidents that supposedly happened. And I am curious, like, how many of these incidents even really happened? You know, how much of this is like, kind of putting a name on something that wasn't even really anything at all, you know, or completely unrelated to the movie. Like something happened nearby the movie theater that was showing new Jack city, you know? Do you think that part of the fan, part of the reason the movie fails is out of fear of that reaction, that there was just no possible way to make the movie that they wanted to make without fear of that response right? You're coming off of the response of do the right thing where it's like intellectual, white intellectual critics who wrote for the New Yorker were saying, do not release this movie. It's going to start riots, right? So two years later, you're making this. It seems to me at times that the movie really does want to portray what Black America was like in the Reagan era and like what it was like to have the social safety net completely stripped from you and have industry stripped from you and so therefore have to turn to a life of of drugs in order to have some kind of industry, but it's very scared of being on their side too much, and it kind of oversteps at times to to be like even in the last moments where it's the 
super the superimposition on the or the title card on the screen that was mm-hmm. like there are many people like Nino Brown and we have to stop drugs in our city. It becomes a war on drugs movie clearly because it was impossible to not be a war on drugs movie right at in 1991 time. and you couldn't make a movie where the crack dealer was the good guy like and this movie comes as close as you could possibly come. But even Spike does that this year with Jungle Fever. He has his crack movie where Samuel L. Jackson plays a crackhead that ends up um, getting killed by his family. Like he, Halle Berry and Samuel L. Jackson play a couple that are that are crack addicts that are like, you know, it's a very <clears throat> intense negative depiction of, of drugs that like, I think, I think it was just existed at the time, but in retrospect, a lot of people look at these depictions as as a failure in how we talk about addiction. And we can talk about how this movie also depicts addiction and recovery <laughs> oh as another god. version of failure. <laughs> oh my god, Chris Rock in this movie, like, oh my god, from beginning to end, everything he does is fantastic and insane. And like, he is like acting in a way like that I've never seen anyone act in a movie before. He's just doing this insane thing in every every frame of the film. And it's really amazing to see. Well, the story behind his casting, it was supposed to be Martin Lawrence, but Martin Lawrence's good friend died. His Basically, his com- comedic mentor died just before they were about to start filming. Um, and uh, Martin Lawrence had to, had, to, had to back out. He would have been, um, like, amazingly better in this movie. <laughs> like, amazingly better than Chris Rock. I mean, Chris Rock is great. He's doing a really crazy thing. But he, uh, Martin Lawrence would have really been actually acting in it. Like. Robin Harris is is the comic that passed away, um, but yeah, and r- apparently like Martin Lawrence had a better audition as well. Like Chris, according to the writer, Chris Rock will admit that Lord Martin Lawrence had a better audition. But Chris Rock is pretty good in this movie. It's just such a silly role. Well, I mean, you know, he's just doing a lot. I mean, so what? Let's start. Let's okay. So we said the thing where he gets shot. The next time we see him, he's a crackhead, right? And he's this kind of crazy, like Dave Chappelle show version of a crackhead. Like, I mean, the Dave Chappelle show crackhead is Chris Rock in this movie. Like, that's what that is, you know? I think it was based off of that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it is. It's like literally that's what it's like. He's all got the like white stuff. Like he's all ashy on his face and his hands. And he's, you know, dressed in this crazy overcoat and he's like scratching himself. And then he's like fighting with a woman in a crack house over a scrap of turkey. (laughs) Like, you know? this is where he is next and it's like it's very 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 over the top but it's also like i guess this is this is like a comedic character chris rock would do right like where he would the guy who was like i don't want to do it i don't want to do it at all but do you know do you know the character he would do a character like this like a broke guy chris rock would yeah yeah chris rock no chris rock where he would be like Um, i don't want to do the voice but he's he would be like seven to five the same well one don't got no sugar well i guess because this one has a thingy taste of lemon <laughs> how about i give you 68 cent and you let me suck out all the bubbles his crackhead character is like the dramatic version of this character from in living color which i just couldn't stop thinking about i was like because it's also supposed to be kind of funny but also not supposed to be funny like it oh when he becomes a crackhead it, it it's a scene where, or when we recognize him as a crackhead, it's a scene where Wesley Snipes is giving out Thanksgiving dinner to people in the projects, and Chris Rock's character cuts in line. He goes, "How much for a turkey? Can I get a turkey?" Right, and it's like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Yeah. And then he goes, it cuts to him inside the the crack house, or like you know the the squat where he's where he's where he's smoking 
he's eating turkey and smoking crack with this woman and she's eating too much turkey that he and he gets mad and he attacks her but he's basically doing a thing where it's like you're eating all my turkey and it's just it's chris rock he's not an act like yeah he can't act he can only just do chris rock he can only just scream things that are like kind of aggressive and kind of funny you know like and it is very weird and because these are supposed to be emotional scenes i think you know also especially the one where he's fighting with whoever it's supposed to be like him at absolute rock bottom, but it's also just kind of like, it is like watching Gilbert Gottfried wearing like a, you know, a broken bum stovepipe hat and like with a bindle <laughs> and going like my beans. <laughs> like, you know. So like, so, so while scoping Nino Brown's apartment building, Ice-T notices Chris Rock begging for the Turkey and he goes into the squat to, to grab Chris Rock. And for some reason in the squat, there's like a bunch of other normal people, right? <laughs> Did you notice that as well? Like there, it's like there's the crack house squat where Chris Rock and a few other people are smoking crack, and then all of a sudden it cuts to some medium close up of Ice T in a group of like churchgoers or <laughs> just regular people, and you're like, it's unclear why they're there. Like, why is this middle aged woman who is in pearls and like a purple <laughs> skirt like in this in this area? And they all she attacks Chris Rock for attacking this woman. Ice-T grabs him and is like, you know, don't tell anyone I'm a cop. But it's like, I don't understand. Are, who cares? Are where working? are you? Yeah, yes, who are these are people? You? Why are you You're with normal people. In, what like, what like, would happen to you? <laughs> what you? I don't understand. You, where are you undercover right now? Are you undercover in the squat? Or are you undercover with the church people, the people who just got out of church and so for some reason walked over to the squat? I don't understand what's happening right <laughs> just now. Just to, they like to walk by disapprovingly after church every day. <laughs> Yeah. But nonetheless, Ice T feels bad. He tells Chris Rock he grabs he brings Chris Rock to the hospital to get sober. And then we get what I think oh is one of the greatest training ma- montages <laughs> in any movie ever. The Chris it Rock the, getting sober montage. It is a getting sober montage, which there have been many, but there have been never been as many modeled off of like a Rocky montage. <laughs> as I think this one, I don't know if there's ever been one. Cause it's such a bad idea. It, it like it, 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 it's like such a poor representation of the difficulty of getting sober, but like, it's, it's, it's just basically, basically like, like he doesn't want to be at the meetings and then he's having a good time at the meetings. Like that's a big um, part of it. But then also in the background, like Judd Nelson at one point is like eating lunch and it, at ice T's apartment, it's huge, amazing, beautiful loft apartment that makes no sense. An undercover cop lives in, um, or maybe not New York city, 1990. That's, that's in a bad part possible. of town, you know, Soho. <laughs> yeah. Um, but behind Judd Nelson is iced Chris rock on an exercise bike and then trying to do jumping jacks with ice. Tea. And then like he tries to, he does one jumping jack and his knees buckle and he collapses <laughs> in the most like this man should never be doing anything but comedy. It is the most <laughs> sitcom collapse you've ever seen. And it's in the rehab montage, a montage that is so corny. It might as well have a song like set to the tune of you're the best yeah, from yeah, karate yeah. kid. But instead it's like, you know, you're getting sober. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're never, never going to do drugs break. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, amazing to watch. And it is. Yeah. They do stop putting the crazy crackhead makeup on him again. And he looks like regular Chris rock again, you know, oh, well, suddenly he has great teeth. Suddenly he has, like, I didn't realize that, like, crackheads have bad teeth because they haven't, they just haven't brushed in a while. 
But I do have a plotting question about this part of the movie, Ricky, because did you, when I saw it, my read was that we know Ice-T needs a way into Nino's organization. He sees Chris Rock. He's like, I know this guy. And then he sends him to rehab, right? And then Chris Rock says like, you gotta let me repay you. Let me infiltrate. It's Chris Rock's idea. (laughs) It's Chris Rock's idea. Like, are we supposed to believe that? I mean, I assumed it was Ice-T's idea the whole time and he was playing some kind of mind games with him. But does the movie expect me to believe that? (laughs) Ice-T is like brought on to this to this undercover investigation by Mario Van Peebles, who has no business being in the movie. <laughs> we should get to that in a minute. Has literally never, I don't think there's ever been a more unnecessary character I mean, in a movie even than Mario Van Peebles' character. It's in this movie. such a small character. Not since Alfred Hitchcock has a director given himself a smaller character. It's not like he comes think, up in a scene and does something cool. He's in like a dozen scenes and sucks, you know? I think you should qualify that. And it's not that never since Alfred Hitchcock has someone given themselves a smaller part, but more scenes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So it's as insignificant of a part as Alfred Hitchcock walking dogs. It's basically that part, but it's Mario Van Peebles every 20 minutes or so popping up to be like, does the commissioner know about this? (laughs) He brings up the commissioner multiple times, and I don't (laughs) think we ever... Do we ever meet the commissioner? No, there's no commissioner. I don't think the commissioner makes an appearance in the film. No, I don't think so. I feel like we meet the captain, but they do get in trouble after the building almost blows up. But I don't know. I feel like it didn't tell me who that person was. You know, I feel like they get. I feel like they get in trouble again because Mario Van Peebles is like the commissioner's mad at us. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, so Ice T then becomes like Mario Van Peebles. Uh, pulls Ice-T into this and they start their undercover operation. But in the middle of that undercover operation, he meets Chris Rock again, who's an addict. He gets Chris Rock sober. And then Chris Rock is like, let me help you. And it's like, who is this movie about? Right? Like, yeah. if is this about the is this about Ice-T? Because Ice-T needs to be the one to be like, you need to come into our operation. But the problem that this movie has is that if Ice-T does that and chris rock dies then they can't allow ice then then ice t can't be a good guy anymore because i mean he, he i guess decision. you would think a movie like this where it's like you know um, an updated exploitation, like drug dealers and cops and machine guns like you would think it would have the emotional complexity to deal with that like you would think actually that is almost a cliched part of the movie that you get your good nice informant killed and then you get really drunk and you're like what am i even a cop for like that happens in these movies, but this movie is afraid even of doing that, you know? It is. I mean, except you have Judd Nelson, you know, appearing every now and then to be like, you're going to get him killed. Right. He's going <laughs> to die. He doesn't and give a shit. Ice- he doesn't give a single shit about it, right? And then Ice T will be like, Ice T will be like, shut up. He's not going to die. And Judd Nelson will be like, what's this, a black thing? And then Ice T will be like, shut up. And then that's it. <laughs> It's very weird. So a lot of the scenes have this energy of the scene that you're just doing where it's like, I'm struggling to see through the acting to the screenplay to understand what plot point is supposed to be advanced in this scene. You know, where one of my favorite moments in the movie is when it's near the end. So I'm jumping the gun here a little bit, but it's when um, Ice-T and Judd Nelson decide to go undercover themselves, which it just turns out they can do. (laughs) Like, like they, for some reason, they never tried this before. 
all of a sudden these the undercover the movie, cops that is literally in their job title <laughs> they, yeah all of a sudden at the end of the movie they're like oh we'll go undercover <laughs> okay this is so what anyway. i'm saying it's like two completely different movies the second half of the movie is yeah ice tea undercover with the cop or with it's like donnie brosco right it's like he's undercover with the bad guy he's getting to know the bad guy better and we're getting to know the bad guy better but the bad guy's still bad that's the but, whole second half of the movie but the whole first half of the movie is something completely different um, so so they decide to go undercover, which apparently they couldn't have done the whole movie prior to like the last act. Right. Um, and there's a shot where like Nino Brown's younger brother, which we haven't even talked about. There's a whole brother thing in this movie that yeah. really doesn't matter, but it's there. Um, his is the one that's getting led into this trap set by Ice T and um, and Judd Nelson. But like Nino Brown's brother gets out of the car and starts walking around the corner, and the camera dollies down this like, er, down this like dilapidated street, and you come to Ice T and Judd Nelson in their undercover clothes. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and they're like, it's like the, they're wearing the, the loosest yeah. silk clothing you've ever seen in your life, the l- just, biggest pants. And they're just standing in this spot, not talking to each other. Like it is the most like, like There's no so one many directed f- them. How many yards of beige silk were used in this costume? <laughs> oh my god, so much. There's a there's a there's a scene where Nino and his brother are playing basketball together, shirtless, yet still wearing the silk pants. They're wearing suit they pants the while they're playing <laughs> basketball, but shirtless. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I love that scene where they go undercover and it cuts to them in in all those clothes, standing in a weird spot, not talking to each other. This movie definitely has a big, like, this is where we could film in New York energy. Like, it's nowhere in particular, but it's like they're, like, vaguely cinematic. But they also seem to be framed, like, very tightly, you know, because they just have this one little parking lot to film in in Manhattan. There's also, it's also the kind of action movie that feels like no one had the money to get trained how to use a gun or how oh, to look yeah. comfortable with a gun. You know, there's like multiple scenes where like, you know, specifically the last action sequence where they're like in that factory and um, they figure out that Ice-T is a, is a cop and everybody starts shooting at each other. And it just doesn't really feel like anybody in that scene knows how to hold a gun or how to no. look comfortable being on They're guard all pointing them like sideways anything. and then like up in the air. They're like, <laughs> the, it's confusing. We're jumping around, but I would like to say about Chris Rock just to round out like one of the more, there's a couple of things from this movie that are, that live on as memes that are, have entered the culture and, and are memes. One of them is the very end of the movie, which we can talk about later, but I would say the other one is Chris Rock uh, smoking crack. There's a moment where he relapses. He goes undercover in the Carter and he's in the crack sort. He gets a promotion to the crack sorting room. And then he's, he, there's one scene where he almost does crack. And there's another scene where he does actually do crack. And the, there are these shots of him in his apartment and the subway's going by and there's like red lights flashing outside the window and he's shaking. He has his shirt off. He's holding a crack pipe and he's like sobbing and, but he's still like bringing the lighter to the crack pipe. And the first time he throws it away and the second time he smokes it while sobbing. And they're just like, those, those are memes very over the top. It's like one of the fucking nutsest things I've ever seen in my life, Ricky. Like I thought it was really weird and really funny. And I, again, I, I guess it was dramatic. I don't really know. 
I mean, I was watching it with someone and she was like, oh, that's so sad. And I was like, what? <laughs> that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, and then in the next scene when he's back working in the crack oh house God. and he's got he's got the belt buckle video camera. He basically has like from the Simpsons where they give they have a, a camera inside a turban. <laughs> the scene the scene where like the cops give him the belt camera is so fucking out of nowhere and ridiculous. So it's like, what, wait, what are they giving him? Is this Batman now? What is this? This is and such an op- It also looks like shit. <laughs> they should, when they should, the scene of him dancing around, there's like this bulge inside of his dress shirt that's like moving around while he's dancing. <laughs> like, yeah, what was that bulge? Oh, that bulge is supposed to be the wire. I think the, it's supposed to be the, the wire. Camera. Yeah, exactly. Right, which is like so obvious. But yeah. He's dancing around, he's fucking up the count, and he keeps being like, yo, give me that crack, I love that crack, give me the old crack, 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 crack. And like, <laughs> Judd Nelson, they're all like- they He's all like some kind of watching. leprechaun all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> and somehow like, the cops have this on a live feed. Right, yes, they're right? seeing it live. That and they are, by the, the way, apparently next door. Like, they are very, very close to the building. <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> They already have enough fucking. But how much evidence do they need? Chris Rock well, is in a room full of crack, and they don't. And then, then it's on video. Like, just go in, you know. And and then this happens. So, like, I'm assuming if they have a live feed in plugged into the 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 hideout that they're in next door, they're also taping that live feed. Yes. Now, after Chris Rock gets caught with the crack, Nino's brother says. To the camera on the belt, we're going to kill you now. (laughs) We're going to kill you now. And then in the following scene, the cops find Chris Rock killed. They then spend the rest of the movie looking for enough evidence... Specifically, occasionally for that character, that same character. They have a whole... other I thing the, on him, you know? It's like, I spent the rest of the movie being like, I am not a cop. But one thing that I would do is I would take this video footage I have of this man threatening to kill somebody and that person then dying. His and dead body in the next use room. It, use it to persuade this person to rat on their higher up. And if they wouldn't do that, I would put them in prison. I don't under like that seems yeah. like cop 101, but this movie is just like they're just like God. We don't have enough evidence. God, we don't. They just they're keep like saying that, God, Nino's we, not on the tape. We need more. We just don't have enough evidence. We just don't have enough evidence. And it's like at one point, Chris Rock is in a room with I don't know two million dollars worth of crack cocaine, and like in this building that all these other people are in, running the building, and it's all on live videotape. It's like, is that not enough evidence? Like, speaking of like Chris Rock smoking crack, like his, his when he's smoking crack. So Wesley Snipes keeps saying nobody in his group should smoke crack, but after he sleeps with his younger, or excuse me, after he sleeps with his brother's girlfriend or a girl that his brother likes, which again is like a narrative that does not make any sense Who in this cares? movie. That Who like cares? he has domestic like, drama why, with his wife. Like, like his brother is for some reason who he runs the business with is mad at him for fucking this girl. But like, I just doesn't strike me as like, 
the truth of these two men who run a drug business yet and like sleep with these women and like suddenly he's like that was my girlfriend that you had sex with and he's like who cares and it's like yeah who does care who, who does you run care? a multi-million dollar business who cares yeah but anyway this 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 character is so upset that that is happening he turns to crack the young the brother and there's a scene where wesley snipes calls him while he's smoking crack and the character doesn't stop smoking crack <laughs> while talking to wesley snipes and you're like why doesn't Wesley Snipes know he's smoking crap? He's like, like oh, yeah. yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> like not multiple times during the phone call. Not an exaggeration. <laughs> Wesley Snipes like Wesley Snipes is like, so these guys that so these guys that we're doing the deal with, you think they're gonna work out? And it's like it's like Yeah, it's gonna be cool. It's gonna, yeah, man. Oh, we're gonna be pretty good. And he's like, okay, because we're we're a little worried about who's uh, who's around these days because of what happened at the at the stash house before. <laughs> the stash <laughs> house. <laughs> you can like literally hear the the crack sizzling before he t- inhales. You know, he's like, <laughs> oh, he might as well be like, hold on, I'm in, I'm in the middle of hitting some crack here. <laughs> hold on, I'm doing the drug crack cocaine. You're familiar with it, I think. <laughs> Yeah, so then eventually what happens is uh, Wesley Snipes, you know, gets uh, he, he gets arrested. He goes to jail. or he goes No, he doesn't go to jail. He goes to court, and he delivers his third monologue. The second monologue, which I actually think is the best monologue of the movie, is to the old man who is, oh, lives, yeah. is, is, is from the project tower that, like, got taken over and has complained about Wesley Snipes' character and is like, you know, I'm a taxpaying citizen, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Wesley Snipes says to him, what are you gonna what are, what are, what are you gonna do for me? Are you gonna what are you gonna do? You're gonna give me another I have a dream speech? Because look at how good that did us. We don't have a pot to piss in. Which I think is a fantastic provocative monologue for 1991. And something that, to be perfectly honest, should be on everybody's minds when talking about race in America, right? Because the uh, I have no business saying this, but like as inspirational as Martin Luther King Jr. was, oh his his work with unions and his work for economic equality is rarely talked about for and good reason. It was very important to him, I mean, right? It was arg- inarguably the most important thing yeah. to him, right? Like, he w- he got killed in... Um, Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, yeah. So he was killed in Memphis. He was there on a sanitation worker strike. And there is a reason, though... On a mainstream level, when we talk about him, we don't talk about what he stood for in regards to economic equality because this country has not worked out what redistribution looks like, what economic equality looks like. So that is an incredibly important monologue in this movie in regards to the social safety net being taken away from black America, being being impoverished, having, having, having no economic opportunity, and taking the civil rights movement and putting, throwing it back in its face. What did it actually do for us, right? That's not the whole truth of the civil rights movement, of course, but it's a very provocative monologue. Or I think arguably more provocative than he, the one he has in the courthouse later on where he says the poppy oh, feeds yeah. aren't in Harlem, right? Because we know- I that, like I that mean, monologue, we, though. I like that one. I mean, Ricky, I, I study international affairs, so that one was really speaking my language, you know? I like that monologue, too, but 30 years later- we're more 
aware yeah. of that idea of the war on drugs. But the other one industry. is so much more speaks to our current moment, right? Like that, yes. these are and, conversations and, we're having, not just still having, but I would say having again for the first time, maybe, you know, and in yes. a very, very serious way. Exactly. I mean, you, maybe I'm just relating to it on that level, but I do think the 90s created an environment where it was a fantasy of opportunity being everywhere, right? Coming off of the the, the windfall of the 80s and the sort of the 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 Clinton the Clintonian idea of the economy in the nineties. It's, it's there for everybody. It's once again, it's individualistic. It's yours for the taking, go out and make it for yourself. Racism is over with the exception of a few bad actors here right, and there. Yeah. And then, and then you turn into the criminal justice system and it's like, Oh, we've been prosecuting drug offenders and actually drugs aren't that bad. And it's like, we've always known drugs aren't that bad. So why have we been prosecuting drug right. offenders? It's because we're actually just trying to lock up the poor because we don't want to create a system where there's any kind of economic quality. This is interesting yeah. about this movie too, I think is like, you know, when we were talking about Chris Rock earlier about his like crackhead character that he's doing, I think this movie is also guilty of like, at this period in history, like a crackhead was something like, like a uh, sort of a comedic archetype, like not a real yes. person. It wasn't a real person with a real issue. It was like a crackhead, you know? So it, it it's dehumanizing those kinds of people. And it's not, it's, uh, I don't want to say the movie makes it seem like it's their fault for doing crack, but you don't really get the sense in the movie that Wesley Snipes is like marketing crack aggressively. Do you know what I mean? Like it's more just like yeah. these crackheads want crack and I give it to them. Well, there, there is an element of, um, I mean, the moment where Chris Rock attacks that woman in the squat, she's talking about how she used to, she was prom queen oh, or right. homecoming yeah. queen or something like that. And then there's also a shot of... Um, but that's supposed to be funny. I think that's supposed to be funny because she looks like oh, such really? an awful crackhead. Oh, I thought it was supposed to be kind of... I thought it was supposed to be heartbreaking. I I mean, now you make me there sound was, like I'm inhumane. But I think, well, no, I think I mean, my read on, on it on is the, it was supposed to be funny. Because it mean, cuts I to Chris Rock okay. looking at her and he's like, what? And it's like, so it's a joke, you know? I think it's open to interpretation because there isn't much stock put into the details of this performance <laughs> or the, all the performances. Yeah, that's very but fair. That's very fair. There is also another scene that is like a few shots of a, I think it's the crack house that they create in the projects, right? Mm -hmm. With different, different floors selling and different floors for, for, for doing the drugs um, where they show, like a, a woman and her child and she's like smoking crack next yes, to her child yeah, and looks yeah. really miserable. That was really it, sad. That know? was really, really sad. That yeah. made Catherine so go like, oh. I think there is a, uh, I think there is a slight sensitivity in this movie, but it's all kind of undermined by the, the sort of staple war on drugs. Uh, like archetypes, right? Message. Yeah. yeah, message that comes through by the end of the film. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, sorry if I don't cut it out. I would just like to say, and I'm sorry that I went on that that economic equality rant <laughs> I'm in the midst of a, a social welfare and policy graduate course, and clearly it's taking its. Toll I mean, Ricky, this brain. is what's popular these days. Really, we should do more of this kind of stuff. It would probably be better for us. Another plot thing, right? Where at the end of the movie, when Wesley Snipes delivers his monologue in the court, and he says, "I'm not the top of the chain." The banks are in charge of this. And he points out another guy in the courtroom, which is kind of a weird thing. It's like a, it's like another black guy that works with it, seems to work in his crew, but apparently that guy's the boss. 
and he goes and gets arrested and then they let Wesley Snipes off because he has given up his higher ups, right? Gone further up the chain. But that guy is the guy that Wesley Snipes stabbed in the hand. <laughs> and was also the guy that was like pointed out Ice T as a cop when they were on like a big deal. No, so it was a different guy than that. It was a different guy than that. I mean, it, is it? It is. It's a guy. He's in the very, the very, very beginning of the movie. He's basically just like some guy that works at Goldman Sachs, and he's somehow got some money and a connection. And then he doesn't appear in the movie again. I don't think for a very, very long time. I think it's the guy because there's no way that character would be the one who goes. He's five zero. Like he's supposed to be. Like he's supposed to literally work at Goldman Sachs, and so they're it literally in his trial, and he seems to be about to get arrested, and he's like. No, really, it's some other guy you never heard of. And they're like, oh, well, you're free to go, Nino. Thank you so much for pointing him out to us. I was like, yeah, would, they, would they really do that? I don't think that that is what would happen at all, you know? Out of nowhere, they cut a deal at the bench. Yeah, they're like, okay, well, uh, he can go if he's going to give us this guy we've never heard of before. Who, <laughs> like, maybe is involved or maybe not. I don't know. The drug dealer just said he was, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, no, you're right. He is, you're right. According to TVTropes.com, it says, when Nino claimed Kareem Akbar, quote, the educated brother from the bank, whom he stabbed in the hand and nearly strangled earlier in the film, was the real head of CMB. Right. So is is it just is he just saying that Kareem is his boss? Because if Kareem is his boss, he wouldn't be stabbing him in the hand well, around exactly. the table. So what the fuck? But there is that scene, right? I'm not crazy, right? There is a scene where there's like some kind of banker that is supposed to be giving Nino some kind of connection to get going, like at the very beginning of the movie. Yes, that's Kareem. But then, yeah, but you're right. But then, so then he's stabbing him in the hand. <laughs> like, so he's not the fucking boss, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like Kareem shows up with that girl and, the, and, and, she's, and she's like, you know, he's got the money for you. Yeah, exactly. Like and also oh, just it just in general like the idea that the police and the prosecutors in the middle of a trial would throw out the charges on the word of the person who was being prosecuted <laughs> who was like no it was somebody else and they were like oh my god wow i'm so glad you told us <laughs> we would have looked so stupid if we convicted you and really it was somebody else it's got the feeling of like lazy throwaway yeah, hundred percent. Right. Because they just wanted oh, to get off. There's not much time left in the movie, and like that's it, you know. Yeah, and the 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 prosecutor is like, I don't know. We just let he's gone. Like that's it. We let him go. What, what do you want us to do? He said this, so we said that, and now it's over. Now it's over. Yeah, come on. What do you want? Um, yeah, we also haven't talked about before. The there's a the the woman who plays his bodyguard in it, <laughs> and she um she has this amazing voice. Where she'll like when they threaten those Italian guys, she goes, "Don't move, Gigantor." <laughs> I did not notice that, Ricky. That's amazing. She was very like I remember she had a very strong energy. You know, she seemed to be like deeply unhinged for the entire film, and it was it was always I always felt threatened when she was on screen, a hundred percent. So, Ricky, it's been 30 years since this movie, New Jack City. Um, let's just start off easy. Like, what was your favorite part of the movie? It's like the first first half of the movie. Or not even the first half. It's like the first act of the movie when crack gets brought to Harlem. He decides to become a crack dealer, and we see his rise up. Like, even in there, there's a lot of throwaway ideas that aren't fully fleshed out. And... Um, it doesn't entirely work, but 
the movie just functions on a level that makes more sense right uh at that time once like the cops are getting involved like the script can't really handle too many threads so it's really just that opening stuff that's solely about wesley snipes that i like yeah in the second half of the movie which i realized we didn't talk about that much it really is i think all the scenes take place with ice t and wesley snipes in a pool just talking about their childhoods and hugging like that's basically all of the scenes it's very very odd after the rest of the movie well, there's also like the first act of the movie really just sort of sets up the entire vibe of the movie, which is great. And as a cultural artifact, you're like, oh shit, new uh, new Jack Swing, fucking yeah, Kangle hats, suit. gold ropes, hats, you know, Harlem crack, fuck Ice T, let's yeah, Flavor Flav, you know, yeah. Chris is a crackhead, amazing. Let's go. This is incredible. And then as it like gets into the second act and tries to tell a story. It's a disaster. <laughs> and it's yeah, just you're not like, very why well do made. I care? Like everybody's behaving totally differently than they were behaving in the movie up to this point. Like none of this makes any sense. Why is this second movie happening at the end of the movie? Like, yeah. I hate why it. are they just realizing now that they can go undercover themselves? <laughs> Again, I will say they are undercover cops. <laughs> like I thought the idea was that um, Ice-T was too well-known because he did so many busts so that he couldn't go undercover. But then he just does, <laughs> you know, like. Basically, they get an innocent guy killed and then go, like, are sitting around. You can see it. They're, like, sitting around after, like, their friend is dead. The innocent guy is dead that they just killed. And they go, oh, what if we just call them and tell them that we want to buy it? They don't know we're cops. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's do it. All right. Okay. All right. Maybe we should have done that before. And this is, by the way, their dangerous, unsanctioned, unofficial plan. Their rebellious plan they came up with was like, we'll just pretend to want drugs and try to buy them. And actually, I just, I'm going to, you know, it is the first act, but I'm going to say my other favorite part of the movie too. I'm going to give a second favorite part going long on this one. Uh I apologize. It's already been long for a while. But is that there is a... um, a scene earlier, early in the movie where Ice-T tells Chris Rock that basically he became a cop because his mother was murdered by a junkie in the <sighs> oh street. Oh my God, yes. Who shot his mother for like yes. for no reason. And then when Ice-T goes undercover, he finds out that the person who shot his mother happens to be Wesley Snipes. <laughs> like, it is like a coincidence that has no ounce of truth to it whatsoever. Ice-T like, Ice-T tells the story that he's like, you just went up to my mother. Bam! Shot her in the head. Didn't take no money. Didn't take a wallet. Just ran away. Just then, some like, base hour, head. <laughs> just some base head. And then an hour later, and like Wesley Snipes, or like Ice-T says 1974, and then like an hour later, Wesley Snipes is talking to him and he goes, you know how I got in my first gang? It was 1974. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. And he's like... I saw this lady walking down the street. She had a big sign on that said, Ice-T's mom. I was like, I'm going to fucking kill her. And then so when Ice-T catches him and he's beating the shit out of Wesley Snipes in the street. Oh, my God. After, I can't believe we haven't even. Oh, my God, yes. There's too much to talk about in this movie. We're really off our game here. Oh, my God. Two things about the the climactic scene where they break into uh, Wesley Snipes' hideout is they break in at night, and then when they... Get out of the apartment seconds later to fight. It's broad daylight. 
Like, I hate to be that continuity guy, but I mean, the continuity in that moment is fucking terrible. And the only way they try to break it up is that when the scene starts, they show a shot of the sun slowly rising in the horizon of the city to be like, day is coming. Okay, they just day- happened to get there at like 4.48, and now it's sunrise. There's a shot of Icy swinging into the window, pitch black night, swinging into the window, he grabs Wesley Snipes, they punch each other once or twice, and then he throws Wesley Snipes out the door and it's broad daylight. <laughs> broad daylight. Everybody's watching them fight. And as he's fighting them, Wesley Snipes is being like, you killed my mother! And uh, it's just great. Because apparently Wesley Snipes really needed that personal thing to, to attack. No, oh my God, you didn't even say the thing I thought you were going to say, which is the very end. So he's beat the shit out of him. He's won. The cops are coming. We can hear the sirens in the distance. Judd Nelson is there because uh, he's got a gun pointed at Wesley Snipes and Judd Nelson is saying, don't throw your life away for this trash. And what Ice-T says is, I want to shoot you so bad. My yes. dick is hard. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> if he didn't get to shoot him, he got blue balls. <laughs> That's just not healthy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not healthy. Right. Like he was like, I'm gonna sh- I want to shoot you so bad my my dick is hard, which is what he says in the movie. I should we should read that, that is literally exactly his line. Yes, exactly his line. When they pull the gun away from him, does he turn to any other cops and he's like, "What? You got me hard. You're not gonna at least jack me off." <laughs> I mean, you guys heard me, right? Did you guys not hear me? What am I talking to myself over here? You guys, I'm fucking really hard right now. Really like, either fucking let hard. Me shoot somebody. And you see this or... cool bust that I did? Like, now it's my turn to bust. Do you know? In retrospect, Ice T's a cop, and he's saying, "I want to shoot you so bad, my dick is hard." Is the movie trying to say something about police brutality in that moment? You know, Ricky, I don't think that it is. No, I think that it's just we're supposed to be on the side of Ice T. We know that uh, Wesley Snipes killed his mom, and he's like Wesley Snipes is like laughing at him, you know, and he's got blood all over his face, and it's just like, oh, this son of a bitch, you know. But he but says, he- "I want to." He gets off on violence. I wonder, I do wonder if that was an improv. I would love to hear it. I wonder if there's like 20 different versions that Ice-T did. <laughs> He's like, I want to shoot you so bad I'm coming in my pants right now. <laughs> and they were like, Ice, no, no. Try something else. <laughs> I want to sh- shoot you so bad I'm going to shit. They're like, that, no, Ice, no. <laughs> I want to shoot you so bad it's like licking a pussy. <laughs> I, I want to shoot works. you so bad I don't want to do nothing else. Mm, no (laughs) um yeah for me ricky i mean i we didn't talk about the other iconic meme of the movie which is actually the bigger meme right now which is the very end of the movie where wesley snipes is crying and he's holding the gun to his brother who he knows has betrayed him it's like i know it was you fredo kind of thing i am i am my brother's keeper right i am my brother's keeper (laughs) and there he's got tears running down his face and he shoots him right that's like a big meme right now. Like that's, that's another iconic thing. But I mentioned that because my favorite thing has got to be the first iconic meme we talked about, which is like Chris Rock crying, hitting that crack pipe. It's just, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen something like that in a movie ever before or since. It's like such on that line of like absolute cartoonish comedy and like really serious drama, like that I am literally unsure how I'm supposed to react to it in a very deep way, you know? It just was funny. I just couldn't help but find it funny. But then I felt like bad that I found it funny. 
I mean, obviously, I also felt bad on some level, too, for his character. But watching it, watching Chris Rock perform it, it took me out of the the story and just made me chuckle. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's shot like sketch comedy. Yeah. Like, outside of just his performance, I mean, it looks like sketch comedy in terms of its depiction of squalor and, like, you know, sound design. Like, the whole thing feels like cut to kids in the hall drug addict in a in a drug den yeah. or something <laughs> i mean it's interesting to hear you say that mario van people's got this movie on the back of doing 21 jump street episodes because like i can totally see that from watching the movie some of the especially some of the action sequences i think have a very like good tv show quality good and bad i mean some of these action sequences are like really terrible the act the scene where uh, Ice T and Judd Nelson save each other from Bill Nunn's Da 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 Man mm-hmm. is really poorly filmed. <laughs> just doesn't work. It's but just hard to know what's happening. It's it's hard to even know what's happening in the scene, like who is where and what's going on, and like yeah, it's very bad. Since this movie, Mario Van Peebles has directed a lot of television. Uh, he directed. I mean, in the '90s, following New Jack City, he got the movie Posse, which is a revisionist Western about a a mostly black posse. And he directed the movie Panther, which was about the black Panthers. Um, And he directed in the early 2000s, Badass, which was like the story of his father. But since then um, he's mostly done TV. I guess actually he has a few movies in here as well. And um, recently it's been like episodes of power empire. um, And uh, this, he did the salt and pepper TV movie. Oh, did he really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think people like that, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think the most 90s part of this movie is? Jeez. I mean, uh, where to fucking start, right? Like, yeah, it's like... I, w- I would... Part of me would say it's take on the crack epidemic, but I think that's wrong. It is still ahead of its time in its take on the crack epidemic. I think that's um, like, we can look at it now 30 years later (laughs) and, and say, Oh, it was like, it was, it it stands as like a, a piece of the war on drugs rather than a testament against the war on drugs. But I think for 1991, it's way ahead. It's, it's probably way ahead of its time. So yeah. I think it's the music. I think it's the new the, the new yeah. Jack Swing music. And it's very particularly I mean, of that... this couple of years, right? Where New Jack Swing was huge, the hugest thing in the world. Yeah. So I go I go I go New Jack New Jack Swing, which I love. I love that sequence in the club where everybody's dancing and uh that band gets introduced and um and they're and they're playing. I love that sequence. For what me about you? Yeah, my favorite or my most 90s thing, speaking of things that only existed for a few years in the early to mid 90s, got to be iced tea with dreadlocks. This is a very rare creature that's been seen in a couple of things. Surviving the game. Surviving the game. Exactly. Surviving the game, Tank Girl and this movie are your big three iced tea with dreadlocks touchstones. And there is this whole thing running through the movie where they they kind of sometimes are acting like he's Jamaican. Like people will say things to him like he's Jamaican, but he is not making any attempt to like say anything in a Jamaican accent or anything, you know? You're forgetting one movie. Which one? Johnny Mnemonic. Oh shit. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I mean, it was a very important look and it's a, it's interesting how many of these are like weird science fiction movies, like almost all of them. I mean, I guess all of them except this one. 
Yeah, I feel like they put him in in science fiction often because they were racist. <laughs> what is that? Just a gut feeling I have. Ricky, it's been 30 years since this movie came out. What what do you think um we've grown out of? What do I think we've grown out of or what do I think the movie's grown out of? <sighs> you son of a bitch. I think what I kind of what I what I just said about its depiction of the drug war and of cops and how how we view a system that creates the only possible economic outlook for um no no i uh, totally know what you mean i mean it's like and i i agree with you i think about things we've grown out of it's like the movie is coming from this like 80s drug movie mold like a like a lethal weapon or a beverly hills cop and i mean of course that goes back to the 70s movies of mario van people's dad and of course all the way back like you said to scarface and they watch the 1980s scarface in this movie right there's a long lineage of this, but um, it's still a it's still a creature of this this kind of mindset of like you know the drug dealer's the bad guy and the cops are the good guy and you can sympathize with the drug dealer a little bit but not too much because ultimately he is the villain. And also, I think watching this movie for the first time in 2020, the scene of him watching Scarface was really corny to me. But watching this movie in 1991, right. Scarface at that point is only 10 years old. That's probably not corny uh, at all and feels very right on. In a way, it's similar to a movie that I'm going to try to reference in every episode that we do from now on for your benefit, because I know you love this movie as well. In a way, it's similar to Brad Renfro watching a clip <laughs> of Eminem, the movie Bully. Whereas very much like was, Bully, yes. When I saw that when I was 16, I was very annoyed because I was like, oh, come on, don't put Eminem in movies. He's already everywhere as it is. It's really annoying. But as... 36 year old who just watched that movie again i was like yeah i know that kid i was there in a room while that kid was rhyming eminem and then complaining to everybody that they cut the swears out on mtv yes I remember exactly that a, a, the most articulate representation of this type of person I mean, I have to say, I did think that even when I saw it, when I was like, whatever, 17 or 18 or whatever, because I think it came out, you know, I'm just a couple years older than you. So like, I think I had, I was already in college when the movie came out. So I was already kind of looking back on high school, like a little bit. And I was like, oh yeah, God, that's really awful. That, that was like the life I was living, like smoking pot with insane people in Southern Florida. Like it was, I cannot believe I'm alive. You know? Yo, they fucking do that all the time. They always cut out the good fucking Yo, words. No, they cut out the f- good fucking words. <laughs> Motherfuckers think that they forgot about Marty. <laughs> and it's just so bleak. It's so bleak. Great movie. He puts his own name in. He puts his own name in. <laughs> Motherfuckers think that they forgot about Marty. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, yeah. I, for me, it's like that depiction. Um, it's just missing the next layer in its depiction of, of the drug war, which I just don't think we were, we were even at yet. People were just starting to write those, es- those essays. You know, and it's like, I, I was think. saying like this movie was, it was a huge, there's huge controversy around this movie. People were afraid of this movie, even though in essence, it's a very straight ahead, moralistic cops and robbers movie. You know, it's, it's crazy to think that how conservative it is at its core, that it was treated like some kind of like, gangster rap rebellion no and i i agree with you i'm just going to copy your answer that is what i was thinking also the portrayal of the drug culture i mean you know i want to say there's stuff about the racial relations in the movie that are like we've grown out of quote unquote but in a certain way i don't think that's true really i think that the portrayal of race is like pretty good in the movie in a certain way and i 
and I think that any problems in the portrayal are really problems in like society and we have not grown out of those problems. So I don't actually think that that's dated. I agree. Yeah. Tight. <laughs> End of show. We did it. End of show. End of show.